sleep, right? What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Amber May Show. So on today's episode, I thought Tucker Carlson did a phenomenal interview with a gentleman who um, has been looking into the censorship of you and I based on government censorship of what you and I, us grassroots people, want to say online and the threat to you and I and our voice is threatening the globalists. And so Tucker did this great interview. And so we break it down a little bit on the show. I don't do the whole thing, so I encourage you to go back and, and watch Tucker Carlson's interview. But a lot of what was said is stuff that I've already brought up in previous episodes, especially the one that I did recently a few weeks ago on election interference. And I really try to break down how they interfere in this city the state and the national the immigrant election. So I hope you enjoy this show. Please like, share, and subscribe. If you believe in what I'm doing, please consider becoming an angel investor. And the easiest way to do that is going to theamberation.com. Hit the donate button and donate whatever you feel. You can donate five, ten, a hundred dollars. That would help me. Or you can be a five dollar monthly subscriber by going to theamberation.locals.com. That would be so helpful if you can do that. I always add more uh, content. Join me on Telegram at The Amber May Show. I'm on True Social Amber May, Frank Social Amber May, Clout Hub. Find me there. I am on Twitter at DJ Amber May. You can find me there as well. So I hope you'll join me and have more conversation there. Please look in the description below with partners that I've, I've partnered with to help save you money. Or you can go to theambermayshow.com in the promo section and look at the business I've partnered with to help save you money. And one of the easiest ways to do that is going to the links below in the description or the website. If you need some gold and silver, go to EPS, wealthmanagement.com. That stands for Estate Planning Solutions. EPS, wealthmanagement.com. Let them know Amber May sent you. Get your gold and silver. It's an unregulated industry. So, you know, Jim Sewell and the gang is the people I trust to buy my precious metal. You'll get a good price. So go to epswealthmanagement.com and need it as a hedge against inflation and let them know Amber May sent you. Well, coming up right now is a Tucker Carlson interview. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Amber May Show. So glad you're joining me today because Tucker Carlson did an exceptional interview and he talked about election interference with censorship. And I've been talking about election interference since we are coming up to an election year. And I and I showed you all these different examples of how they go from the county, the city to the county, to the state, to the federal. It's not that the top down, it's the bottom up. That's how they do it. And then there's some things I want you to focus on that they mentioned. They mentioned the mob in this interview. 
And this is the third time now I've heard about the mob interfering in the election. We heard it in San Luis, Arizona. We hear again somewhat kind of from the former GOP of the Arizona chair, Jeff DeWitt, when he talks about how they will kill him um, for saying certain things or not doing certain things. So this is like the third time we're hearing about the mob. Uh, So I want you to pay attention to that. But what you're going to find fascinating is the legacy media who has had control over all of our minds for decades. They're the mouthpiece of the government and how they got started. I want you to pay attention to the foundation of ABC, CBS, ABC, NBC, CBS, ABC. Pay attention to how it got started. That is very important because I went to journalism school thinking I was going to be the fourth branch of the government, holding the government accountable to the people. But that's not what happens in the United States of America, even though we're supposed to have the free press. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to the Ukraine thing. Um, in, in this episode, you're going to hear about how there was the people of Crimea who wanted to be a part of Russia. So pay attention to that. Um, and what he says in this interview goes back to what Matt Talibi discovered in the Twitter files with government interf- um, co- interfering and telling the social media what they can and cannot do. So you had the government colluding with big tech. You had um, you have government colluding with big tech and non-governmental agencies or organizations called NGOs. And in Arizona, you found that to be true in the Twitter files displayed that where um, the government was interfering in the Katie Hobbs, Carrie Lake trial or election. And now guess who's the governor? And the interesting thing is we, I mean, they talk about a color revolution. That is so important. So pay attention to the word color revolution. Um, so the, the really crappy thing, cause they're going to talk about mail-in ballots at a certain point in this conversation. So I want you to listen to the whole episode that Carl Tucker Carlson talks about, but in 22 in Arizona, the, the fatal mistake that the conservatives had is they broadcasted to the world, their plan that we were not going to, uh, run our elections through ballots. We were going to go same day. And in 22 on election day, same day, all the machines in the Republican areas went down. Majority of the elections went to adjudication, which means we're trusting somebody to vote on our behalf. And that's a huge trust. And then not only that, there was chain of custody issues between the county and Runback, which is the one who tabulates our elections. Wouldn't you think it would stay within the government? No. In in Maricopa County, they send their elections to Runback to be uh, tabulated. So pay attention to some of that. That's what happened here in Arizona. I don't know what happened in other states. However, we have heard from people in Illinois that when they didn't vote, that when they only voted in the general election, someone voted on their behalf. Someone took their vote. They, they study the elections. They study the, uh, the registrar. They study that they know who's going to vote for what they know. And then they use those people who aren't going to vote in every election and they cast their vote on your behalf. So there's a lot that they discuss. So without any further ado, I'm going to present to share some of the um, some of the interview that Tucker Carlson does on censorship. Thanks so much for joining us. And I and I just can't overstate to our audience how exhaustive and comprehensive your knowledge is. 
on this topic. It's almost it's almost unbelievable. Um, and so if you could just walk us through how the foreign policy establishment and defense contractors and, and DOD and, and just the whole cluster, the constellation of defense-related, publicly-funded institutions stripped from us our freedom of speech. Sure. You know, one of the easiest ways to actually start the story is really with the story of internet freedom and its switch from internet freedom to internet censorship because free speech on the internet was an instrument of statecraft almost from the outset of the privatization of the internet in 1991. Uh, we quickly discovered through the uh, efforts of the Defense Department, the State Department, and our intelligence services that people were using the internet to congregate on blogs and forums. And free speech was championed more than anybody by the Pentagon, the State Department, and our sort of CIA cutout NGO blob architecture as a way to support dissident groups around the world in order to help them overthrow authoritarian governments as they were sort of billed. Essentially, the internet, internet free speech allowed kind of insta regime change operations uh, to be able to facilitate the foreign policy establishment's State Department agenda. Google is a great example of this. Google began as a DARPA grant uh, by Larry Page and Sergey Brin when they were Stanford PhDs. And they, they got their funding as part of a joint CIA-NSA program to chart how, quote, birds of a feather flock together online through search engine aggregation. And then one year later, they launched Google and then became a military contractor quickly. Thereafter, they got Google Maps by purchasing a CIA satellite software, essentially. Uh, and the ability to track to use free speech on the internet as a way to circumvent state control over media over in places like Central Asia or, or all around the world was seen as a way to be able to do what used to be done out of CIA station houses or out of embassies or consulates in a way that, that was totally turbocharged. And all of the internet free speech technology was initially created by our national security state. VPNs, virtual private networks to hide your, your IP address, Tor, the dark web to be able to buy and trail, uh, sell goods anonymously, end-to-end -end encrypted chats. All of these things were created initially as DARPA projects or as joint CIA-NSA projects to be able to help intelligence-backed groups to overthrow governments that were causing a problem uh, to the Clinton administration or the Bush administration or the Obama administration. And this plan worked magically from about 1991 until about 2014, uh, when there began to be an about face on internet freedom and its utility. Now, the high watermark of the sort of internet free speech moment was the Arab Spring in 2011, 2012, when you had this one by one, all of the adversary governments of the Obama administration, Egypt, Tunisia, all began to be toppled in Facebook revolutions and Twitter revolutions. And you had the State Department working very closely with the social media companies to be able to keep social media online during those periods. There was a famous phone call from Google's Jared Cohen to Twitter to uh, not do their scheduled maintenance so that, uh, dis so that the preferred opposition group in Iran would be able to use Twitter uh, to, uh, to, to win that election. So it was an free speech was an instrument of statecraft from the national security state to begin with, all of that architecture, all the NGOs, the relationships between the tech companies and the national security state had been long established for freedom. 
In 2014, after the coup in Ukraine, there was an unexpected counter coup where Crimea and the Donbass broke away. And they broke away with essentially a military backstop that NATO was highly unprepared for at the time. They had one last Hail Mary chance, which was the Crimea annexation vote on, uh, in, in 2014. Uh, and when the hearts and minds of the people of Crimea voted uh, to join the Russian Federation, that was the last straw for the concept of free speech on the internet in the eyes of NATO. As they saw it, the fundamental nature of war changed at that moment. And NATO at that point declared something that they first called the Gerasimov Doctrine, which was named after this Russian military general uh, who they claimed made a speech that the fundamental nature of war has changed. You don't need to win military skirmishes to take over Central and Eastern Europe. All you need to do is control the media and the social media ecosystem because that's what controls elections. And if you simply get the right administration into power, they control the military. So it's infinitely cheaper than conducting a military war to simply conduct an organized political uh, influence operation over social media and legacy media. An industry had been created that spanned the Pentagon, the, the British Ministry of Defense, and Brussels into a organized political warfare outfit, essentially infrastructure that was created, initially stationed in Germany and in Central and Eastern Europe, to create psychological buffer zones, basically to create the ability to, to have the military work with the social media companies to censor Russian propaganda or to censor domestic right-wing populist groups in Europe who were rising in political power at the time because of the migrant crisis. So you had the systematic targeting by our State Department, by our IC, by the Pentagon of groups like Germany's AFD, the alternative for Deutschland there, and for groups I in want Estonia. you to pay attention to what he just said, the migrant pop crisis, the migrant crisis. That's what's also happening here in the United States. So this is done by design. So he picked up on a lot of things right there, and I hope you picked up on them too. So um, what he's starting to tell you is you and I, the grassroots, have become a very powerful organization. And because they're going to lose power, these NGOs, DARPA, um, the globalists, because they're going to lose control, they do the censorship. They do, um, and you're going to see color revolutions. They, this is how they're going to keep con control over all of us is through color revolution. So I just hope you have picked up on some of that stuff right now. Hey, I'm going to get to that thought in just a second. But right now, I'm going to take a quick break. Hey, so when you are a guest at the Amber May's house, you get luxury. And how you get luxury is I have this uh, sleeping couch, this sleeper sofa, and you're telling me that's not luxury. It is when you put a MyPillow mattress topper on it. All my guests that have come over and stayed at my house have really enjoyed this uh, sleeper sofa, which says a lot because uh, they're getting to sleep on the MyPillow pillows. And you get the MyPillow mattress topper, and then it doesn't stop there with the luxury because when you shower at the Anna Mae Show's house, you get to have a MyPillow towel. I don't have the kids using it. I just let the adults have the luxury. So the adults get to use the MyPillow, and they're phenomenal. And right now, there's a massive sale going on with the MyPillow towels. So you should really put luxury into your home and live it every day like Amber May does every day. So I have a my pillow mattress topper on my bed. I use the my pillow sheets, the my pillow towels, my pillow slippers. 
I live luxury and I don't have to pay the luxury price because uh, my pillow has promo code. So use my name, Amber, and save up to 66% off and you can live luxurious as well. Hey, this is Boone Cutler and you're listening to The Amber May Show. Hey guys, I want to give you a pro tip to help keep your family healthy when everyone around you is coughing, sniffling, or sneezing, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go first to drstellamd.com. When you're there, go ahead and grab some COVID bites. Also, get your ivermectin. Set up your telemed appointment and get your ivermectin. I'm going to give you a promo code to help you save some money and use promo code AMBERMAY, one word, and that will help you save money. Now, here's your pro tip for you. You can use this on your entire family. The adult doses too. I've talked to a medical expert. They said cut it in half when you're dealing with children. So one tablet. What I do with my kids, because it's just too big of a pill for them, I get a blender. <clears throat> I put a pill in there. I fill it with water and like some flavoring and then boom, I have them drink it before school. Pro tip and what it has and it's amazing. It has quercetin, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, all the therapeutics to help keep your body healthy and working at optimum health. <laughs> Support your body's immune system when you use the Kobe Vites. They're amazing. So go to drstellamd.com, grab your Kobe Vites, get your ivermectin, use promo code AMBERMAY and save some money. are listening to the Amber May Show, and now we return to the show already in progress. Latvia, Latvia, Lithuania. Now, when Brexit happened in 2016, it was it, that was that was this crisis moment where suddenly they didn't have to worry just about Central and Eastern Europe anymore. It was coming westward. This idea of Russian control over hearts and minds, and so at, that was Brexit was June 2016. The very next month at the war at the Warsaw Conference. NATO formally amended its charter to to expressly commit to hybrid warfare as there as this new NATO capacity. So they went from, you know, basically 70 years of of tanks to this explicit capacity building for for censoring tweets if they were deemed to be Russian proxies. And again, it's not just Russian propaganda. This was these were now Brexit groups or groups like Matteo Salvini in, in Italy. Uh, or in Greece, or in Germany, or in, in Spain with the Vox Party. And now at the time, NATO was publishing white papers saying that the biggest threat NATO faces is not actually a military invasion from Russia. It's losing domestic elections across Europe in, to all these right-wing populist groups who, because they were mostly working-class movements, were campaigning on cheap Russian energy at a time when the U.S. was pressuring this energy diversification policy. And so they made the argument after Brexit, now the entire rules-based international order would collapse unless the military took control over media because Brexit would give rise to Frexit in France with Marine Le Pen, to Spexit in Spain with the Vox Party, to Italexit in, in, in Italy, to Grexit in Germany, to Grexit in Greece. The EU would come apart, so NATO would be killed without a single bullet being, uh, being fired. And then not only that, now that NATO is gone, now there's no enforcement arm for the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, or the World Bank. And they are, the IMF is the most powerful um, central bank. They are the central bankers of central bankers. So that is so important. And the central bankers basically have so much power over all of the world's finances because they are a private company. The Federal Reserve is part of the, is a central bank. 
It's a central bank. It is not federal. There are no reserves. It's a private bank that controls the U.S. dollar. And they are central banks all across the world. And the IMF is the most powerful central bank of all. So now the financial stakeholders who depend on the battering ram of the national security state would basically be helpless against governments around the world. So from their perspective, if the military did not begin to censor the Internet, every all of the democratic institutions and infrastructure that gave rise to the modern world after World War II would collapse. So you can wait, imagine wait, the wait, reaction may I ask you to pause later, right, Donald right Trump there. won the 2016 election. So you, well, you just told a remarkable story that I've never heard anybody explain as lucidly and crisply as you just did. But did anyone at NATO or anyone at the State Department pause for a moment and say, wait a second, we've just identified our new enemy as democracy within our own countries? I think that's what you're saying. They, they feared that the people, the citizens of their own countries would get their way, and they went to war against that. Yes. Now, you know, there's a rich history of this dating back to the Cold War. You know, the Cold War in Europe was essentially a, a, similar, a similar struggle for hearts and minds of people, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, yes. uh, you know, in these sort of, you know, Soviet buffer zones. And you know, st starting in 1948, the national security state was really established then. You know, you had the 1947 Act, which established the Central Intelligence Agency, you had uh, you know, this, this new world order that had been created with all these international institutions. And you had the 1948 UN Declaration on Human Rights, which forbid the territorial acquisition by military force. So you can no longer run a traditional military occupation government in the way that, that we could in 1898, for example, when we took the Philippines. Everything had to be done through a sort of political legitimization process whereby there's some ratification from the hearts and minds of people within the, the country. Now, often that involves simply puppet, puppet politicians who are groomed as emerging leaders by our State Department. But the battle for hearts and minds had been something that we had been giving ourselves a long moral license leash, if you will. Uh, since 1948, one of the godfathers of the CIA, George Kennan, at, uh, 12 days after we rigged the Italian election in 1948, by stuffing ballot boxes and working with the mob, we pub published a memo called The Inauguration of Organized Political Warfare, where he said, listen, uh, it's a mean old world out there. We at the CIA just rigged the Italian election. We had to do it because if, if the communists won, maybe there'd never be another election in Italy again. So, uh, but it's really effective, guys. Uh, we need a department of dirty tricks to be able to do this around the world. And it's essentially a new social contract we're, we're constructing with the American people because this is not the way we've conducted diplomacy before. But we are now forbidden from using the War Department. In 1948, they also renamed the War Department to the Defense Department. So again, as part of this, this diplomatic onslaught for political control rather than it looking like it's overt military control. But essentially what ended up happening there is we created this foreign domestic firewall, we said, that we have a department of dirty tricks to be able to rig elections, to be able to control media, to be able to meddle in the internal affairs of every other plot of dirt in the country. But this, this sort of sacred dirt on which the American homeland sits, will uh, they are not allowed to operate there. The State Department, the exactly. Defense Department, and the CIA are all expressly forbidden from operating on U.S. soil. Of course, this is so far from the case, it's not even funny. But uh, but that's because of a number of laundering tricks that they've developed over 70 years of doing this. But essentially, there's, there was no moral quandary at first with respect to the creation of the censorship industry when it started out 
in Germany and in, and in Lithuania and Latvia and Estonia and in Sweden and Finland, uh, there began to be a more diplomatic debate about it after Brexit. And then uh, it was it became full throttle when Trump was elected. And what little resistance there was, was washed over by the rise and saturation of Russiagate, which basically allowed them to not have to deal with the moral ambiguities of censoring your own people, because if Trump was a Russian asset, you no longer really had a traditional free speech issue. It was a national security issue. It was only after Russiagate died in, uh, in July 2019 when Robert Mueller basically choked on the stand for three hours and revealed he had absolutely nothing after two and a half years of investigation that the foreign to domestic switcheroo took place where they took all of this censorship architecture spanning DHS, the FBI, the CIA, the DOD, the DOJ, and then the thousands of government-funded NGO and private sector mercenary firms were all basically transited from a foreign focus, from a foreign predicate, a Russian disinformation predicate, to a democracy predicate by saying that disinformation is not just a threat when it comes from the Russians, it's actually an intrinsic threat to democracy itself. And so by that, they were able to launder the entire democracy promotion regime change toolkit uh, just in time for the 2020 election. It, 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 I mean, it's it's almost beyond belief that this has happened. I mean, my own father worked for the U.S. So <clears throat> if you pay attention to what he just said, they changed the narrative to be we're going to preserve democracy in the United States of America. Now, I was a victim of the censorship, not only on my newsletters. Every time I'd send a newsletter out, I would be banned from that newsletter source uh, site. Um, I was banned off of YouTube. Uh, Facebook censored me like crazy, and so did Twitter before Elon Musk. Now, when Elon Musk took over, they had Matt Taibbi do a wonderful um, expose on how the government was interfering in the elections, and not only elections, but COVID too. Because if any of us came out and spoke against and gave the truth about the COVID narrative, we were being we were being shut down. Our posts were being erased. Um, we were being banned off of platforms because we were bringing truth to the narrative that they didn't want out in the public. I, the U.S. government, it was, I, I think, I want to think, was absolutely unthinkable in, say, 1988. And you're saying that it's, there really hasn't been anyone who's raised objections and it's just, it's absolutely turned inward to manipulate and rig our own elections as we would in, say, Latvia? Yeah, well, as soon as the democracy predicate was established, you had this professional class of professional regime change artists and operatives. That is the same people who argued that, you know, we need to bring democracy to Yugoslavia to get, and that's the predicate for getting rid of, you know, Milosevic or any, any other country around the world where we basically overthrow governments in order to preserve democracy. Well, if, if the democracy threat is homegrown now, then that becomes, uh, you know, then, then suddenly these people all have new jobs moving on the, on the U.S. side. And I can go through a million examples of that. But one, one thing on, on what you just mentioned, which is that, you know, fr from their perspective, they, they just weren't ready for the Internet. 2016 was really the first time that social media had reached such maturity that it began to eclipse legacy media. I mean, this was a long time coming. I think folks saw this building from 2006 through 2016. 
you know, uh, Internet 1.0 didn't even have social media. From 1991 to 2004, there was no social media at all. 2004, Facebook came out. 2005, Twitter. 2006, YouTube. 2007, the smartphone. And so, uh, and in that initial period of social media, nobody was getting subscriberships at the level where they actually competed with legacy news media. But over the course of being, you know, so initially even these dissident voices within the U.S., uh, even though they, they may have been loud uh, in moments, they, they never reached 30 million followers. They never reached, you know, um, a, a billion impressions a year type thing as a uncensored, mature ecosystem allowed citizen journalists and independent voices to be able to outcompete legacy news media. This induced a massive crisis, both in our military and in our State Department and intelligence services. I'll give you a great example of this. In 2019, at a meeting of the German Marshall Fund, which is you know, an institution that goes back to the U.S. Uh, basically, um, I don't want to say bribe, but, but the, essentially the soft power, economic soft power projection in Europe as part of the reconstruction of European governments after World War II to be able to essentially pay them uh, with Marshall Fund dollars. And then in return, they basically were under our thumb in terms of how they reconstructed. Uh, but the, the German Marshall Fund held a meeting in 2019. They held a million of these, frankly. But where, they, where a four-star general uh, got up on the panel and and said that uh, that the what happens he, he posed the question what happens to the to the U.S. military national security state when the New York Times is reduced to a medium sized Facebook page and he posed this thought experiment as an example of of we've had these gatekeepers we've had these bumper cars on democracy in the form of a of a century-old relationship with legacy media institutions. I mean, our, our mainstream media is not in any shape or form, even from its outset, independent from the national security state, from the State Department, from the War Department. Uh, you know, you had the, the initial, uh, all of the initial uh, broadcast news companies, NBC, ABC, and, and CBS, were all created by Office of War Information veterans from the, from the War Department's effort in World War II. You had, the, you had these Operation Mockingbird relationships from the 1950s to the 1970s. Those continued it through the, the use of the National Endowment for Democracy and the privatization of intelligence capacities in the 1980s under Reagan. Uh, there's all sorts of CIA read, reading room memos you can read even on CIA.gov about those continued media relations throughout the 1990s. And so you always had this backdoor relationship between the Washington Post, the New York Times, and all of the major broadcast media corporations. By the way, you know, Rupert Murdoch and, and Fox are part of this as well. You know, Rupert Murdoch was actually part of the National Endowment for Democracy Coalition in 1983 when it was formed as a way to, to do CIA operations in an above-board way after the Democrats were so ticked off at the CIA for manipulating student movements in the 1970s. But essentially, there was no CIA intermediary to random citizen journalist accounts. There was no Pentagon backstop. You couldn't get a story killed. You couldn't have this favors for favors relationship. You couldn't promise access to some random person with 700,000 followers who's got an opinion on Syrian gas. And so this induced, and this was not a problem for the initial period of social media from 2006 to 2014 because 
there were never dissident groups that were big enough to be able to have a, a mature enough ecosystem on their own. And all of the victories on social media had gone uh, uh, in the way of the, where the money was, which was from the State Department and the Defense Department and the intelligence services. But then as that maturity happened, you now had this, this situation after the 2016 election where they said, okay, now the entire international order might come undone. 70 years of unified foreign policy from Truman until Trump are now about to be broken. And we need a the same analog control systems we had to be able to put bumper cars on bad stories or bad political movements through legacy media relationships and contacts. We now need to establish and consolidate within the social media companies. And the initial predicate for that was Russiagate. But then after Russiagate died and they used a simple democracy promotion predicate, then it gave rise to this multi-billion dollar censorship industry that joins together the military industrial complex, the government, the private sector, the civil society organizations, and then this vast cobweb of media allies and, and professional fact checker groups that, that serve as this sort of sentinel class that surveys everywhere on the internet. Hey, I'm gonna get to that thought in just a second, but right now I'm gonna take a quick break. Hey friends, I want to tell you what I recently did. I broke away from the big three. I was tired of the woke mobile and I wanted to go to a Christian conservative company that I could trust that support the organizations that I value and that is Patriot Mobile. So when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Amber, you are going to get free activation. It is super easy to get started to switch from the big three to Patriot Mobile. They'll walk you step by step. It is not difficult at all. And I've had tremendous service since I made the switch. So I recommend if you want to vote with your wallet and, and support a company that supports your values, go to patriotmobile.com slash Amber and save on free activation. So that's patriotmobile.com slash Amber. Now the links are in the description below or on my website at theandermayshow.com slash promo. So check that out. So it's time to vote with our wallet, ditch the woke mobile, and go to a Christian conservative mobile. And that is patriotmobile.com slash Amber. Hey, I'm Christina Bob, and you are listening to The Amber May Show. In the early 1900s, like in 1920s, 30s, you, with $20, you used to be able to buy an entire men's suit. You could get the handkerchief, the tie, the vest, the jacket, the pants, the belt, everything. And you could also buy that with a piece of gold. Now, in today's standards, you can't buy much with $20. Maybe a tie, maybe that's it. You could not even come close to an entire men's suit with a $20 bill. However, if you still had a piece of gold, you could still buy an entire men's suit with that piece of gold. See, silver and gold have intrinsic value and it's had intrinsic value since the beginning of time. It's always been a currency around since the existence of man, gold and silver. So why not protect your investments and protect your earning power by owning some gold and silver? And the easiest way to do that is contacting Jim Tewell at epswealthmanagement.com. That's Edward Paul Sam, wealthmanagement.com, epswealthmanagement.com. Give him a call and let him know you'd like them to have some tangible assets in your portfolio. You'd like to have some gold and silver and, and he can help you do that. So if you're ready to protect yourself and protect your investments, then go ahead and give Jim T. Wald a call whom you've seen on our program at epswealthmanagement.com. Let him know Amber May sent you. 
you are listening to the Amber May Show, and now we return to the show already in progress. So one of the biggest mistakes in Arizona, what we did, because we had a color revolution right here in Arizona, where Katie Hobbs now occupies the governor's seat, is we broadcasted everywhere that we were going to do same-day voting and no mail-in ballots, and that's the day in the Republican areas, the machines went down. And like I said, uh, the majority of the votes went to adjudication, which is not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to have the majority of your votes go to adjudication. That means someone else is voting on your behalf. Like you're trusting someone to vote on your behalf. And I, frankly, I don't, I don't trust that many people to vote the way I want to vote. And I'm sure you don't trust them to vote the way you want to do vote, but that's what happened. So here we're going to get into some more about election interference um, with the color revolution with save democracy. Remember, we live in a republic, not a democracy. A democracy is really a mob rule where the 51% will will always outrule the 49%. The 49% will never have the ability to have a a voice um, to be heard. That's why I love the republic so much. The Republic gives the the small guy, the small states a voice because you have two in the Senate or in my state elections, we have one senator per legislative district and we have two representatives per legislative district. So on the federal level, every state, no matter if you're a small New Hampshire state, a small Maine state or a large California state, you only get two senators. So it gave the 49% the ability to have a say in government. And that's why we love a Republic so much. We don't want the 51% to always outrule the 49%. So let's get into this further. And then they plug these into these essentially machine learning models to be able to have a constant world heat map of what everybody was saying about COVID. And whenever something started to trend, that was bad for what the Pentagon wanted or was bad for what Tony Fauci wanted, they were able to take down tens of millions of posts. They did this in the 2020 election with mail-in ballots. It was the wait, same thing. Wait, 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 may I ask you, wait, wait, I, I'm sorry, I just got to have, there's, there's so much here and it's so shocking. So you're saying the Pentagon, our Pentagon, the U.S. Department of Defense censored Americans during the 2020 election? Cycle. And I was one of those between COVID and the election. I was one of those being censored. Yes, they did this. They, oh, they did this through the. So so there's the two most censored events in human history, I would argue to date, are the 2020 election and the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'll, I'll explain you know, how I arrived there. So the, the, the 2020 election was determined by mail-in ballots. And I'm not weighing into the substance of whether mail-in ballots were or were not a legitimate or safe and reliable form of of, of voting. That's a completely independent topic from my perspective than the censorship issue one. But the censorship of of mail-in ballots is is really one of the most extraordinary stories in our American history, I would argue. What happened was is you had this plot within the Department of Homeland Security. Now, this gets back to what we were talking about with the State Department's Global Engagement Center. You had this group within the Atlanta Council and the foreign policy establishment, which began arguing in 2017 for the need for a permanent domestic censorship government office to serve as a quarterback for what they called a whole of society counter misinformation, counter disinformation alliance. 
that just means censorship, the counter misdisinfo. But the whole of their whole society model explicitly proposed that that we need every single asset within society to be mobilized in a whole of society effort to stop misinformation online. It was that much of an existential threat to democracy. And so it, it but they just they fixated in 2017 that it had to be centered within the government because only the government would have the clout and the coercive threat powers and the and the perceived authority to be able to tell the social media companies what to do, to be able to summon an NG, a government funded NGO swarm to create that media surround sound, to be able to arm in a, in, you know, an astroturfed army of, of fact checkers and to be able to liaise and connect all these different censorship industry actors into a cohesive unified whole. And the Atlantic Council initially proposed with this blueprint called forward defense, not offense, it's forward defense guys. They initially proposed that running this out of the State Department's Global Engagement Center because they had so many assets there who were so effective at censorship under Rick Stengel's steed and uh, under the Obama administration. But they said, oh, we, we're not gonna be able to get away with that because we don't really have a national security predicate and it's supposed to be foreign facing. We can't really use that hook unless we have a sort of national security one. Then they contemplated parking at the CIA. And they said, well, actually, there's two reasons we can't do that. The CIA is foreign facing. We can't really establish a counterintelligence threat to bring it home domestically. Also, we're going to need essentially tens of thousands of people involved in this operation, spanning this whole society model. You can't really run a clandestine operation that way. So they said, okay, well, what about the FBI? They said, well, the FBI would be great. It's domestic. But the problem is, is the FBI is supposed to be the intelligence arm of the Justice Department. And we and what we're dealing with here are not acts of lawbreaking. It's basically support for Trump, or if you know, if if a left-wing populist had risen to power like Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn, I have no doubt they would have done in, in the UK. They would have done the same thing to him there. They targeted Jerry, Jeremy Corbyn and other left-wing populist NATO skeptical groups in Europe, but in the U.S. it was it was all Trump. And so essentially, what they said is, well, the only other domestic intelligence equity we have in the U.S. besides the FBI is the DHS. So we are going to essentially take the CIA's power to rig and bribe foreign media organizations, which is a power they've had since the day they were born in 1947, and we're going to combine that with the power, with the domestic jurisdiction of the FBI by, by putting it at DHS. So DHS was based... Okay, Department of Homeland Security, which started under the Bush administration because of 9-11. And we talked about another alternative. To so I had that architecture come on to give another perspective on the 9-11 story. Um, but that's where a Department of Homeland Security is birthed to what? To interfere in our lives. So listen further to this interview. Basically deputized it was empowered through this obscure little cybersecurity uh, agency to have the combined powers that the CIA has abroad with the jurisdiction of the FBI at home. And the way they did this, it, how did a cyber, an obscure little cybersecurity uh, agency get this power was they, they did a, a funny little series of switcheroos. So this little thing called CISA, they didn't call it the Disinformation Governance Board, they didn't call it the Censorship Agency, they gave it an obscure little name that no one would notice called the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, who its founder said, we just, security, we care about security so much it's in our name twice. You know, everybody sort of closed their eyes and, and pretended, you know, that's what it was. But it was created by Act of Congress in 2018 because of the perceived threat that Russia had hacked the 2016 election, had physically hacked it. And so we had need, we needed the cybersecurity power 
to be able to uh, to be able to deal with that. And essentially, on the heels of a CIA memo on January 6, 2017, and a same day DHS executive order on January 6, 2017, arguing that Russia had interfered in the 2016 election, and a DHS mandate saying that elections are now critical infrastructure, you had this new power within DHS to say that cybersecurity attacks on elections are now our purview. And then they did two cute things. One, they, they said they said mis, dis, and malinformation online are a form of cybersecurity attack. They are a cyber attack because they are happening online. And they said, well, actually, Russian disinformation is, we're, we're actually protecting democracy and elections. We don't need a Russian predicate after Russiagate died. So just like that, you had this cybersecurity agency be able to legally make the argument that your tweets about mail-in ballots, if you undermine public faith and confidence in them as a legitimate form of voting, was now you were now conducting a cyber attack on U.S. critical infrastructure by, by articulating misinformation on Twitter. And just like that, now what they did then is they Wait, then so in other words, a bunch of... Complaining about election fraud is the same as taking down our power grid. Yes, you could literally be on your toilet seat at 9.30 on, on a Thursday night and tweet, I think that mail-in ballots are illegitimate. And you were essentially then caught up in the crosshairs of the Department of Homeland Security classifying you as conducting a cyber attack on U.S. critical infrastructure because you were doing misinformation online in the cyber realm and misinformation is a cyber attack on democracy when it undermines public faith and confidence in, in our democratic elections and our democratic institutions. They, they would end up going far beyond that. They would actually define democratic institutions uh, as being another thing that was a cyber security attack to, uh, to undermine. And lo and behold, the mainstream media is considered a democratic institution. That would come later. What ended up happening was in the advance of the 2020 election, starting in April of 2020, although this goes back before, you had this essentially never Trump neocon Republican DHS working with essentially NATO on the national security side and, the, and essentially the DNC, if you will, uh, to, to use DHS as the launching point for a government coordinated mass censorship campaign spanning every single social media platform on earth in order to pre-censor the ability to dispute the legitimacy of mail-in ballots. And here's how they did this. They aggregated four different institutions, uh, Stanford University, the University of Washington, a company called Graphica, and the Atlanta Council. Now, all four of these institutions, the centers within them, were, were, were essentially Pentagon cutouts. You had, uh, you had at the Stanford Internet Observatory, it was actually run by Michael McFaul. If you know Michael McFaul, he was the U.S. ambassador to Russia under the, uh, under the um, Obama administration, and he personally authored a seven-step playbook for how to successfully orchestrate a color revolution. That is, and, and part of that involved having, maintaining total control over media and social media, juicing up the civil society outfits, uh, ca calling elections illegitimate in order to, now mind you, all of these people were professional Russia gators and professional election delegitimizers in 2016. And then, well, I'll get to that in a sec. So, so Stanford University, of the nominally the Stanford Air Observatory under Michael McFall was run by Alex Stamos, who, who, who was formerly a Facebook executive who coordinated with ODNI and the, uh, with respect to, uh, 
Russiagate, you know, taking down Russian propaganda at Facebook. So this is another in, uh, liaison, essentially, to the national security state. And under Alex Stamos at Stanford Internet Observatory was Renee DiResta, who started her career in the CIA and wrote the Senate Intelligence Committee report on Russian disinformation. And there's a lot more there that I'll leave. I'll get to another time. But uh, the, the next institution was, was the University of Washington, which is essentially the Bill Gates University in Seattle, who is headed by Kate Starbird, who uh, is, is basically three generations of military brass, who got her PhD in crisis informatics, essentially doing uh, you know, social media surveillance for the Pentagon and getting you know, DARPA funding and, uh, and, and working essentially with the national security state, then repurposed to take on mail-in ballots. The third firm, Graphica, got $7 million in Pentagon grants uh, uh, and, and got their start as part of the Pentagon's Minerva Initiative. The Minerva Initiative is the Psychological Warfare Research Center of the Pentagon. They, they, this group was, an, was doing social media spying and narrative mapping for the Pentagon until the 2016 election happened, and then were, were repurposed into a partnership with the Department of Homeland Security to censor you know, 22 million Trump tweets, uh, pro-Trump tweets about mail-in ballots. And then the fourth institution, as I mentioned, was the Atlantic Council, who's got seven CIA directors on the board. So one after another, it is exactly what Ben Rhodes described it during the Obama era as the blob, the foreign policy establishment. It's either the, it's the, it's the Defense Department, the State Department, or the CIA every single time. And of course, this was because they were they were threatened by Trump's foreign policy. And so while, while much of the censorship looks like it's coming domestically, it's actually by our foreign-facing Department of Dirty Tricks color revolution blob, who are professional government topplers, who were then basically descended on the 2020 election. Now, they did this. They explicitly said, the head of this election integrity partnership, on tape, and, and, and my foundation clipped them, and it's been played before Congress, and it's in you know, a part of the Missouri v. Biden lawsuit now. But they explicitly said on tape that they were set up to do what the government was banned from doing itself. And then they articulated a multi-step framework in order to coerce all the tech companies to take censorship actions. They said on tape the tech companies would not have done but for their pressure, which involved using threats of government force because they were the deputized arm of the government. They had a formal partnership with the DHS. They were able to use DHS's proprietary domestic disinformation switchboard to immediately talk to top brass at all the tech companies for takedowns. And they bragged on tape about how they got the tech companies to all systematically adopt a new terms of service speech violation ban called delegitimization, which meant any tweet, any YouTube video, any Facebook post, any TikTok video, any Discord posts, any Twitch video, anything on the internet that, that uh, undermined public faith and confidence in the use of mail-in ballots or early voting drop boxes, or, or, or ballot tabulation issues on election day was a prima facie uh, terms of service violation policy under this new delegitimization policy that they only adopted because of pass-through government pressure from the Election Integrity Partnership, which they bragged about on tape, including the grid that they used to do this and, and simultaneously invoking threats of government breaking them up or, or government stopping doing favors for the tech companies unless they did this, as well as inducing crisis PR by working with their media allies. So, and they said the government, DHS, could not do that themselves. And so they set up this, this basically constellation of State Department, Pentagon, uh, and, and IC networks to run this pre-censorship campaign, which by their own math 
had 22 million tweets on Twitter alone. And mind you, they did this on 15 platforms. So this is hundreds of millions of posts, which were all scanned and banned or throttled so that they could not be amplified or they exist in a sort of limited state purgatory or had these frictions affixed to them in the form of fact-checking labels where you couldn't actually click through the thing or you had to, it was, it was an inconvenience to be able to share it. Now they did this seven months before the election because at the time okay. they, they were want... worried about. He said seven months before the election. What did I tell you? Uh, what did we talk about in previous shows, especially when it came to the San Luis um, race? She said they knew who was going to win the election a year in advance. And then you see Carrie Lake and how they are trying to interfere in her election, bribing her from running for U.S. Senate. But we all know that there was a color revolution during her governorship because she would have had more power as a governor than a U.S. Senate. So they interfered. And that also came out in Matt Talibi's, um Twitter files that that Elon Musk allowed to be on his platform that showed the coercion of them, the government interfering with social media during the 22 election with Carrie Lake. The perceived legitimacy of a Biden victory in the case of a so-called red mirage blue shift event. They, they knew the only way that Biden would be able to was would win mathematically uh, was through the disproportionate Democrat use of mail-in ballots. They knew there would be a crisis because it was going to look extremely weird if if Trump looked like he won by seven states. In Nova, you know, uh, and then three days later, it comes out actually the election switch. I mean, that that would put the election crisis of the Bush-Gore election uh, on a level of steroids that the national security state said, well, the, the the public will not be prepared for. So what we need to do is we need to in advance. We need to pre-censor the ability to even question the legitimacy. This took out. Wait, wait. May, may I ask you to pause right there? Key influences. So, so what you're mm -hmm. saying is, what you're suggesting is, they knew the outcome of the election seven months before it was held. It looks very bad. Yep, they already did, because that's what we've been told from people involved in election interference. So they already know the outcome of elections close to a year in advance. So in this election coming up, they've already picked the winner. And I can promise you they don't want Donald Trump to win. Why? Because uh, the populist movement, you and I, the grassroots uh, are wanting to do things differently and they want to, they're good. We don't want them to be in power anymore and they want to keep their power. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a Republic and this is worldwide. It's not just here in America. So I hope you'll catch the rest of the Tucker Carlson interview and you can find him on X uh, and you can find the rest of that. So I want to just thank you for joining me today on the Amber May Show. I want you to get involved. Make sure you go out and vote. It's very important that you do that because if you don't vote in every election, someone's going to take that away for you or possibly take your vote and vote for someone on your behalf and you won't even know. So check out your uh, voting record. Go online to your uh, recorder's website or the secretary of state i'm not exactly sure but one of those sites should have your voting record and see did you really vote in every election if you didn't vote in every election check to see if someone voted for you anyways that's all i have for you today so please like share and subscribe and i will see you next time on the amber may show do you love coffee 
Well, you're not alone. Over 150 million Americans drink more than 400 million cups of coffee each day. But does your coffee love you as much as you love it? According to the University of Santa Maria in Brazil, the average coffee today contains up to 117 pesticides and over 30 mycotoxins. And long-term pesticide and toxin exposure has been linked to many health issues such as Parkinson's, asthma, depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, and cancer, and more. So perhaps the problem is in your cup of coffee. But don't worry, Java Boost Coffee is here to help. With Triple Lab tested organic coffee, coconut cream, ginger, turmeric, and the newly discovered muscadine grape with over 100 antioxidants, and better still, no pesticides, mycotoxins, there's no roasting, brewing, grinding, measuring, or even sweetening. Java Boost Coffee reduces hunger and cravings, stabilizes blood sugar, and promotes mental energy and clarity. Just add a scoop of Java Boost to hot or cold water, and you're ready to enjoy the delicious cup of gourmet, healthy coffee for less than $2. How much are you paying for your unhealthy 117 pesticide and mycotoxin coffee? Look, we all love to drink coffee. Let's drink coffee that loves us back. Let's drink Java Boost coffee. Simply go to cupofhealth.com today. That's cupofhealth.com. Be sure to use the promo code AMBER and save 20%. You can even order a single sample of Java Boost coffee for just $1 and try it before you buy it. Just go to cupofhealth.com and use the promo code AMBER and save 20% today. Thank you for joining us today on the Amber May Show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And if there's someone that came to mind, please share this episode with them. Please follow us on Telegram at the Amber May Show, True Social Amber May, Frank Socially Amber May, or Clout Hub. I can't wait to see you next time on the Amber May Show.